0: Thank you for listening to this Podcast One Sportsnet production. Available on Apple Podcasts
1: and Podcast One. If you like Real GM Radio, you're going to love Penn Sunday School on Podcast One. Join famed magician Penn Gillette as he talks about anything and everything, from news to religion to anything else that's on his mind. And trust me, he's not about to go easy on anything that ticks him off. Check out Penn Sunday School every Monday on Podcast One or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Welcome to Real GM Radio. I am Danny Lurie, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. My guest is Tim Bontemps of ESPN. I think it's the first time I've ever said that publicly. And I'm really happy for him with the new gig. And we spend a lot of time talking about... His new primary focus, which is the Eastern Conference, and specifically that has become the top part of the Eastern Conference. So we go through the Bucks, through the Sixers, through the Raptors, the Celtics, and the Pacers. Pacers place in this group is a, is a point of discussion that I really enjoyed. And then, of course, we get into everything else. Tim watches the whole league, so we get into the Western Conference and the bottom of the East, the teams that we're excited to watch, and everything like that. And so, something else that's different about this episode, and this is mostly due to my own time constraints, is that this episode is significantly less edited than most real GM radios, and that allows me to ask you to do me a little favor. And I'll mention this at the end of the podcast as well: is that if you want to shoot me an email and say how big of a difference this is for you, whether it's not a big one or not, It because there is, you know, it takes time to edit and everything like that. Uh, so let me know. But before we get there, you have to listen to the actual episode. And it is brought to you by Robinhood, which is a great investing app. You can sell stocks and options and cryptos all commission free. And what you do there is you go to realgm.com robinhood.com you get a free stock for doing so which is awesome betonline.ag long time friends of the podcast can go there and use the promo code podcast one for a 50 percent sign up bonus when you create an account which is very cool and true great place to buy new and used cars this episode runs about an hour 15 i really liked where we went with it also got into some free agency stuff so i hope you enjoy it as well thank you so much for coming on anytime danny how are you i'm doing well uh I am forewarned that we aren't in the same part of the country anymore, but I, I think that that yeah, does open... You and me both. Yeah, that does open us up to an interesting conversation because you've been... I mean, we we both watch the whole league because it's a part of our jobs, but due to proximity, you've been much closer with the Eastern Conference and... I've been trying to get a handle on the, you know, it looks like it's a five-team top of the Eastern Conference. We can stratify it if we want. But Toronto, Milwaukee, Boston, Philly, and Indiana. And I was just wondering, you know, you've been out there for a little while now, how, how you're feeling about those five teams and kind of what divisions, there, what separations there are, if there are any.
2: I think maybe the most interesting thing about this, uh, season so far is that Indiana has kind of firmly entrenched itself as one of those five teams, right? If you go back, you know, to when I took this job, you know, a couple months ago, everybody really had honed in on the first four teams you mentioned, right? Toronto, Boston, Philly, Milwaukee, in some order, as probably being at the top of the East, you know, and the, the order kind of depended you no know, more than anything, I think on how bullish you were on the Bucks. Um, I think you and I were both on the more bullish end of that spectrum. But the fact that Indiana has played as well as it has, uh it's really, I think, made it uh, a true five-team race atop the East. And I, I don't think Indiana necessarily is in the group of teams that you think maybe will make the finals like they probably are they probably have the lowest ceiling of those group of five teams however i think the way they've played and the way some of those other teams have struggled i think you could look at them and credibly say that they have a shot to win at least a series uh and you know i think that's they've they've proven to be, I think, a level higher and maybe some of the other teams have been a level lower than uh, we would have guessed a few weeks ago.
1: Right. And when you consider that by almost all accounts, they exceeded expectations last year, a lot of times when a team does that, you expect them to take a step back. And I mean, Oladipo in particular had this, you know, remarkable breakout went from being kind of a, you know, a starter to being an all NBA player. And that is a very important jump. It's not one that guys do very often where he was in his career. And there are reasons for that. we've talked about it before, but the biggest takeaway for me so far this year has been for a long time. I've been very skeptical of their defense. I just, you know, when I watch them, you're sitting there going, you know, yeah, they're doing a good job. They're contesting shots, but is this sustainable? And I'm not all the way there on every component of it. I still am a little bit queasy about their defensive rebounding, but the overall picture, I mean, they're legit. Like this, this is a team that can defend. They hit more threes. I wish they took more. And I think that defense is an important part of why they are viable in the East as a regular season team and then as a playoff team, because you have to be able to win those games to try to get into the high 40s, low 50s range. And it looks like that's where, you know, these teams are going to end up. Maybe some, some of them push ahead of it. Maybe some fall behind if they have injuries. But to get into that range, you have to take care of business on the road, at least some of the time.
2: Yeah. And I, and I think, you know, when you look at when you look at them, right, I mean, they don't have a lot of guys that you look at and go, that guy's a stopper, right? Like they got Boyle Bogdanovich at the three. They've got Thad Young at the four. Um, you know, you don't look at those guys and think like, you know, that has always been, I think an underrated defender as somebody who covered both those guys in Brooklyn, but you don't look at those guys and say, Oh, those guys are stoppers. Right. And, and they, they've both done a really credible job playing on the wing. Um, you know, at, and at the four spot, um, you know, they, they've gotten, you know, they have just physical guys all over the court, whether it's all the depot, uh, Corey Joseph, you know, even Aaron holiday, some at the point, um, Darren Carlson is fine. Uh, miles Turner, you know he's made some strides he still has issues, but he's you know he's blocking I think he's leading the league in block shots right now. um it's a bonus can bang with guys i mean they they just they're just very sound, right? like they just don't they they just play an old school sound game at both ends. Like you said, they they shoot well from three, but they don't shoot a lot of threes. Um you know, they don't play very fast, but they just kind of make teams play the way they want to play and they do a good job of dictating how the game is going to play out. And you know, it's a formula that, you know, like I said, I think it limits their ceiling a little bit I like I don't think you look at them and think they can win three series in the east but I think that consistency and play and approach I think will give them a chance to win at least a round and to your point when you go back 18 months ago if you said that the Pacers going to be in a position where they had a bright young star and a chance to potentially win a round in the playoffs um I think that anybody around the pacers would have jumped at that and, you know, they they would have gladly taken that outcome. And, and that's where we find ourselves at.
1: Yeah, that, that's a, a, a good way of kind of thinking about where they are and taking it. And something else that I've been really impressed with on the Pacers, especially because Miles Turner had so much trouble with it early in his career, is that they don't foul that much. And fouling is, you know, like so Dean Oliver's four factors, it is, I believe, the lowest of the four. But it's still really important. And part of why that's really valuable for the Pacers is it's just a way to prevent teams from getting easy points. And they still have guys that get in foul trouble from time to time but it's not nearly as big of a problem and then I think something else that's really impressive you talked about how they have like you know all these solid defenders is the level of competence it throughout their rotation I mean Tyreek hasn't been as good as I hoped he would be this year, but you know, still better than a lot of the other guys they had. Corey Joseph is having a wonderful season. And DeMontis Sabonis. I mean, he's having a really nice year. This is age twenty two season. He's one of those weird guys because he started his rookie year and he was fairly young then that you kind of I think about him as being in the league a long time, but he's still pretty young. Like he's eligible for the top prospects pod that Nate and I did. We didn't neither of us put him in the top ten, but he's you know, he's doing a really good job of it. And so getting forty eight minutes at center, getting forty minutes of point guard and then you know figuring it out well enough at the forward spots is is really impressive and not that many teams can get to that level where they're comfortable i mean even teams that they're competing with philadelphia cannot get 48 minutes from the center spot they can't get 48 minutes from the perimeter rotation because they have they they arguably can't get 48 minutes anywhere yeah and i mean some of that maybe philly will get on the buyout market i mean they're they're along with Houston the most logical sales pitch teams of like hey you can come to us and we're good but what each uh, player prioritizes on that market I mean and it's dictated by supply most of the guys that are coming out are going to be centers probably and while Indiana doesn't need that I mean Philly could use a little bit and we'll see with Houston if the Nays get back but like yeah I mean that that depth could end up being a big issue for Philly even though their top-end talent is is intriguing and you know generally I would say those guys I would mean, a has been an absolute monster this year.
2: Yeah, I mean, when I when I was referring to the the issues with consistency and uh, and just overall play with some of these teams, I mean, that's one of the things I was most thinking about. We're recording this on Saturday. I'm at the Raptors Sixers game tonight in Philly, and you know the, the the Sixers' biggest problem right now is they basically have four players. Uh, they've got the three all-stars and JJ Reddick, and then they just have question marks everywhere. Um, you know, Wilson Chandler has been very inconsistent, uh, at the four. He's probably going to get hurt because he tends to get hurt. Uh, they don't have anyone to play behind him. Uh, they have TJ McConnell at the point guard. That's really the one spot where they have 48 minutes. It's TJ McConnell playing behind Ben Simmons. It's, it's a bear. It's, you know, about as good a rotate, uh, 48 minutes of point guard plays. You're going to get in the league, uh, anywhere at this point. Plus they have Jimmy Butler who can handle the ball too, but, um, but you, you look at the rest of the roster, Landry Shaman has been really good as a rookie, yet yeah, they're they're relying on him to play huge minutes. He's got to play the two for them. Defensively, that's not going to work out great. Uh, Furkan Kortmaz, you know, is showing he probably should have had his option picked up. He's been a nice piece off the bench. He can really shoot the ball. Uh, but, again, he can't defend anyone, and he, he probably should be playing the two when he's playing the three. Uh, they don't have any true threes on the roster behind Jimmy Butler. Uh, you know, Zaire Smith and Markel Fultz are both injured. Uh they have, uh, you know, they have Mike Muscala playing out of position, you know, kind of having to force him in as a small ball, as a, you know, a stretch four when he's really a stretch five, um, but they're trying to play him at the four a lot uh, just because of some of the constraints they have everywhere else, um, you know, so it's it's just... There's just a lot of uh, there's just a lot of a lot of issues here for them to sort out, and you know I, I think a lot of people after the success they had with Marco Bellinelli and Ursoan Eliasova last year just kind of assume that oh hey you know the um you know the Sixers are going to find some buyout guys so they're going to be fine, but uh, I think and I think you would agree if you go back and look at the history of buyout guys on the market, um you know the fact that Bellinelli and Eliasova were as good as they were for the Sixers last year was far more the exception than the rule, and just assuming that some players are going to be able to walk in and help Philly over the second half of the season and the playoffs is, you know, I think a bit of a stretch and, and could end up being a rude awakening for the people here, you know, thinking they're just going to be able to get a couple of rotation players off the scrap heap
1: again. That's a really important point, and especially because... Bellinelli in particular played over his head like Bellinelli he, you know he he would have helped them even at like the expected value you know like what we would have reasonably gotten but he was completely bonkers for them last year and that was incredibly important because one of Philly's biggest weaknesses last year was shooting and getting two guys that fit in well enough you know Bellinelli has been bad at defense for his basically his entire career and Ilyasova competes more and you know Ilyasova is a more all-around guy but both of those guys were hitting shots and playing a role that was very important with that team and sure they I, I think if if backup center is still a problem area for them they can find somebody there I'm not I'm not concerned about that the supply issue isn't there but you're right in terms of the expectation of contribution being much lower than what those guys did last year in the abstract but also you know even in those particular cases and philly is different from a lot of the other teams in the east or in the top of the west that we're still figuring out who the top of the west is because they need that more. There are a lot of teams that could benefit from it. I mean, that's just generally, you know, teams' rotations aren't super stacked, and we haven't even had the injury bug as bad so far this year as, as could be feared for later in the year, just you know, random chance of injuries. And so, that is a bigger concern, because not you. if you need it, then not only do you have to find players, but you have to identify them, they have to stay healthy, and they have to mesh, and all all those other kind of weird things that can happen when you bring a guy in 50-55 games into the year
2: well the other tricky thing for uh philly too is they just don't have a lot of avenues to make a deal for a guy you know like the they had one medium-sized contract to trade that was jared bayless they used that um you know in the uh in the trade to bring in jimmy butler along with robert covington and dario Saric. you know two guys that you know i think i understand why philly made that trade and i would have made it myself i think um you know it, it did hurt their depth And, you know, they didn't really have a way to replace it. They have Markel Fultz, who they may or may not consider moving between now and the deadline. Um, He's really the only guy between their stars and people making, uh, you know, 5 million or less that they can trade and you know, like they have Wilson Chandler on an expiring 30 million dollar deal but they literally don't have another four on the roster so they kind of need Wilson Chandler even if they trade for another guy um you know they kind of need Wilson Chandler to play like they can't necessarily afford to trade a expiring deal for a guy you know for another guy because it, it doesn't necessarily help them in the depth front I mean I guess if they could get some kind of four that could play for them and be an upgrade on Chandler maybe include Chandler in a deal but um you know that, that that's just where they're kind of stock like their bigger contracts or guys that they can't Really afford to trade, and they need to try to grow their bench, not just kind of rotate guys in and out. So it's going to be a really tricky balancing act for for Elton Brand. You know, just took over this job as general manager of the team a couple months ago, and has had quite quite a lot of stuff to deal with in between now and then. Um, But it's going to require you know a lot of maneuvering for this team to get where it wants to be. Because look, when you have Jimmy Butler, Ben Simmons, and Joel Embiid, that's a that's a starting point. Just about every team would be happy to have. But you know, not only do those guys have some fit issues that they have to sort out. But, you know, as we've just spent all this time talking about, this team has a lot of holes that they have to try to fill if they want to, you know, really compete with these teams at the top of the East in, in May and
0: June.
1: Joel Embiid made some waves talking about, you know, how things have been different for him since Jimmy Butler came back. And now Jimmy Butler's missed some time with his groin issue. From what you've seen so far, how do you feel about kind of the offensive ecosystem of that team moving forward and mentioning as a part of that, that Jimmy Butler is theoretically an unrestricted free agent in, you know, seven months, six, seven months, and could theoretically go somewhere else. I don't expect him to. But like, do you, do you think that this is the foundation for something? Let's say they add in appropriate talent around it and everything else that they can actually build from?
2: Yeah, I mean, look, I, I mean, I think Jimmy Butler's an unrestricted free agent in six months the way that Chris Paul was an unrestricted free agent six months a year ago, right? I mean, I think the chances of him actually leaving for somewhere else are pretty microscopic at this point. But just given, you know, the the amount of legwork that went into that trade to bring him here in the first place, I don't think the Philly would have made that trade if they didn't have rather clear assurances that you know, Jimmy is going to be happy to sign up there for a long time. And it also wouldn't surprise me if the deal is – structured similar to the one that the the Rockets and and Chris Paul came to, where you kind of, you know, it was done right away, and you were pretty clear that, you know, this was something both sides had kind of hammered out long before, right? So – Setting that aside, um, look, I mean, if you have three of the 20 best players in the league, I, I think that's a situation most teams, like I said before, would be quite happy to um, to start out with, right? And to figure out a way to make it work. Uh, is it a perfect fit? No. Uh, you know, I think somebody like Paul George would have been a much better fit next to them than Jimmy, a guy who, you know, is a little bit better shooter, um, doesn't need the ball quite as much. Uh, you know, clearly trying to keep him and Ben him and Ben, you know, Jimmy Ben and Joel all happy and with enough touches and with the ball enough is gonna be tricky. There's fit issues with Ben not really being able to shoot the ball, uh that that make that fit a little more awkward than it would be for most teams of this kind of talent. But but again, look, these are good problems to have. And if if your biggest problem is you need to fill in the depth around your stars, that that generally is something over time you can do, right? So even if the even if the Sixers can't get there this year and can't get to the place they want this season, if they have a full off season to go out and target, you know, backups at every position and you know maybe an upgrade at the four, um, I, I think you can look at that if you're them and say, hey, this is a very manageable path forward for us. And if we can if we can execute this right this summer, we could go into next season, you know, looking like the team that maybe could be the best in the East, especially if Kawhi leaves, right? Um and if Anthony Davis doesn't show up in, in Boston, you know, all of a sudden you could be looking at Philly with if Philly with a real rotation around those three guys, I mean that, that's probably the best team in the Eastern Conference next year. So um I definitely think it's workable, and I think the the way the next few months play out will be really interesting there. Um, But uh, you know, while I do think there are some tricky tricky parts to that fit, um, I, I certainly think that. There's plenty to be optimistic about here, even if they are a little bit farther behind than they would like to be in terms of making it all work.
1: It does feel more like kind of the basketball equivalent of first world problems because having three players as good as Simmons and Bead and Butler are, you're going to get into these things. Usually, there isn't you know like a Chris Bosh or a Clay Thompson that is just totally willing to see their role drop really far. You know, it's mostly these guys that think they're great because they are great and, and occupied. The, the part that concerns me a little bit. Well, more than a little bit is just Ben Simmons value when the ball is not in his hands, you know, like defenses can shade off, him, right. especially in a playoff series. Like that's a very genuine concern. And there are tweaks and ways that you can that you can fix that and use them as a cutter and screener and some of those other things. And I think they'll figure a lot of that out. But it might take, you know, this playoffs. Maybe you have those growing pains. Like I think we you know, last year when they got just beaten by the Celtics who were so shorthanded, it was kind of this idea of like, oh, this is the learning experience for them. Well, they're gonna have a different set of them this time because their talent is so different. But I don't see the flaws as being unfixable, you know, especially because this team should be able to defend at a really high level. And that gives them a margin, which a lot of other teams don't. I mean, Jimmy, Ben and Joel, like that is the foundation of a really good defensive team. Now, there are some questions because Jimmy Butler's last team defended incredibly poorly and then did a better job after he left and all that. But from a structural perspective, I mean, you see a lot that's there. And it's come up a couple of times over the course of the last few weeks, but it's so funny that in the abstract, the player who makes so much sense next to those three guys is Robert Covington. And unfortunately Robert Covington is unavailable for them.
2: Yeah. He really, he really is the exact guy that they need. Um, yeah, but yeah, to your point, I, I think the fact that those three guys are all really good at defense does give them a lot of latitude in terms of building out this team. Right. Um, cause generally it's a lot harder to find, uh, You know, really good defensive bench players that can fit on a good team than really good offensive bench players or fit players, right? Um, like there are, they could go find a Wayne Ellington this summer, right? To plug in. They could go find, uh, you know, some, some different, you know, wing type. Big men, uh, You know, maybe a Rudy Gay or somebody like that, right, to kind of plug in uh, on the wing. You know, I'm just trying to think guys, you know, kind of older guys who are going to be free agents who might be looking at a potentially winning situation. Maybe a Trevor Ariza would make sense for them, right? Um, you know, you can, you can find some guys that you can plug in around them. Uh, it if, if those were all offense first guys, it would be a much harder, uh, it'd be a much harder thing for them to have to try to figure out. Right. Um, you know, they, they'd have to, you know, it, it's a much harder calculus. Now, to your point, the shooting is a real issue for Ben. And I, I think it's something that, you know, could really derail them long-term if it doesn't, uh, if it doesn't come together the way that they would hope. But, you know, at the same time, you know, again, it's, it's a very good problem to have to just need depth. I mean, as you know, the hardest thing, I mean, you guys just did that prospect pod about it. I was listening to do it this morning on my flight down here. I mean, the hardest thing you can find in the league is or the hardest thing to find in the NBA is great players and getting great players on your team. Like that's the single hardest thing for any franchise to do. And, you know, you, you look at the Pacers, right? Like as good as the Pacers are, And as good as Victor Oladipo is, I would still probably rather have all three, uh, Philly guys than Victor Oladipo. And Victor Oladipo is really good, right? And Philly has all three of those guys. So, you know, if you, if you can, you can be smart and fill in the back end of your roster, if you know what you're looking for and you target guys and you, you, you make it work. Um, it's much harder to find the the Jimmys, Bens, and Joes of the world, and so I think you know while there are going to be some growing pains with it, and it, it will be tricky to make it work. I think you know if you polled the league and said, would you rather be Indiana with a a young star and you know a roster from you know one to twelve that's deep with talent, or three studs and we got to figure the rest out? I, I'm pretty sure they'll all take one to the, the the three studs, and they'll they'll you know take the year or two it might take to make the rest of it work.
1: Agreed. Yeah, and and the fit issues are there, and I, you know, it's possible that that derails it, but it's it's not definite. Lots more to talk about with Tim, but first a message from Robinhood. Robinhood is an investing app that allows you to buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and cryptos, all commission free. And something that I can identify with, having used it, is that it's a non-intimidating way for stock market newcomers to invest for the first time with real confidence. And while there are many arguments that I should have done it much earlier in my life, I didn't really get into stocks until Robinhood. And having, first of all, I mean, having market data, like that was something, you know, as people listen to the podcast, know, I'm a data driven person, having charts and market data, and making it easy to do were made it a lot less threatening. I mean, stocks, there are a lot of people, you know, it's one of those things where I have an information and knowledge-based disadvantage. And so... Getting somewhere that has a lot of that information at my fingertips made me a lot more confident. And also having it with no commission fees because other brokerages can charge up to 10 bucks for every trade. So not having those, it allows you to feel more confident about it and keep all your profits, which is great. And one of the most important things I've learned by it is just the confidence that you get by trying it out, by, by working through it. And so hope to continue growing from here. And if you want to check it out for yourself you go to realgm.robinhood.com. And that does more than just telling them that you came from us. You actually get a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help build your portfolio if you go there. So again, it is realgm.robinhood.com. Check it out. And this is one of my favorite stats at the moment. Of the top 20 players in PER, and I did a basic minutes restriction just to fill out whatever could be, throw out some outliers. Sure. Joel Embiid is fourth in minutes played. That is just remarkable. I mean, you think about what, what the story – the story with him was always like – I mean, at least for since since his rookie year, or his first healthy year. Yeah, that was his rookie year because of the way the league does it. It, it was always that question right. of, like, he's a great player. Can he stay on the floor? And the only guys he's behind right now are LeBron, Durant, and Damian Lillard. And, you know, th- that that's incredible to me that he's been able to, to reach that level. You know, it's not even just like playing on back-to-backs, but playing, I think it's like 34 minutes a game right now.
2: Yeah, I mean, it wasn't long ago. I mean, without even any qualifiers, he had, I think, after either before or after the Toronto All Access game on ESPN a couple weeks ago, he had played more minutes in the in in this season than anyone except for Clay Thompson, Kevin Durant, and Drew Holiday in the entire league. Um, even even removing the the per aspect of it, right? Just straight who's played the most minutes. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it has been amazing to see him be able to stay on the court and be healthy. I mean, for us in our line of work, it's amazing. I mean, the guy's a walking quote machine, and is just a a fascinating guy. So to have him on the court uh, playing all the time beyond being an awesome talent, I mean, it's great for us. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's just his entire story is unbelievable, you know, to go from a guy who has, I think even at this point has played basketball for less than a decade um, to become this just absolute monstrous talent um you know one that's you know and he's you know beyond that he's got this enormous personality that's just you know taken over social media and made him you know i think and maybe the most popular player in the league or certainly in the conversation um it's it's a wild story and you know i think as as basketball fans we just need to hope that it stays this way because you know he's a he's a special talent on and off the court and you know the the, the longer we get to watch him play the longer and the more we get to watch him play the better off we're all going to be
1: and imagine how effective he'll be if he can ever start hitting those threes. I'm not criticizing him for taking them. I think that's about the right – he's at about the right rate right now. It's just that if it stays at 28%, that's not as valuable as if it was at like 33, much less at 36 or something like that. And the goal like, – I think people get this can, like tied up sometimes, but really, for especially for big men who can shoot – What the goal is, the the primary goal, there's a secondary goal. The primary goal is just to make sure the teams defend you out there. And what having a a center, I've argued this with Miles Turner a bunch, and Jaron Jackson's going to be at this point soon enough, that just having the other team's best rim projector, because really you can't afford to put that guy on somebody other than Joel Embiid, having them at a different place in the floor than at the basket is really important because that makes life so much easier on everyone else.
2: Yeah, totally. I mean, it, it's just, it's just a mat, it's just, it's kind of, it's just kind of obvious game theory right like hey there's this thing that's really good if it's in a certain spot well let's move it out of a certain spot out of that certain spot and then we can take advantage of their weak point right um you know it's it's the same as like re you know arranging your military forces in a way to kind of weaken your your enemy i mean it's the same deal it's like hey if you've got rudy gobert on the court and uh you know we've got brooke lopez bombing away from 30 feet well then rudy's got to at least in some form try to account for that and then it opens up the rim for people you know and joel you know while joel struggles with with you know lopez at times and particularly with al horford uh for that same reason at the other end if he can start to become a real threat out on the three-point arc and have guys have to come out and guard him you know his ability to put it on the floor comes into play then he just kind of shifts the 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 defense even more than it already does for him it just that unlocks a lot of things, so you're right. I mean, if he could if he could ever get that little bit higher up in terms of his percentages, it could make all the difference for him.
1: I started the kind of planning stages on a piece. That will probably come out in January for The Athletic about how there's a possibility to me that Brooke Lopez has a meaningful, lasting impact on the way the NBA is the watchability of the NBA. And the reason why is because centers that can space the floor have been, a you know, that's been a thing for at various points in time. But the NBA is, like a lot of professional sports leagues, it is a league of copycats, but it isn't just copycats off of things, you know, like things that work. Like, for example, the seven seconds or less Suns were an important part of pace growing into the league, but really what sent it into high gear was the Warriors because the Warriors succeeded at a level that the Phoenix Suns did not. You know, like, they they not only, like, got to a conference finals, they won a conference finals, and they won three titles. And really, it was the first two that I think really solidified, or the first two finals that really solidified this. And I'm not saying the Bucks are at that level yet. We don't know that. There's a lot that needs to go into it. But if a team like Milwaukee, who is, you know, they've been underperforming, to me, relative to their talent, but all this with offense, and the biggest structural changes were adding Budenholzer and adding Brooke Lopez. And so... If that can convince Nate McMillan to use Miles Turner this way, if it can convince J.B. Bickerstaff... To have Jaron Jackson out there, there are a bunch of these different guys that that can benefit, and and really, it's not necessarily that that player it's going to unlock a, a universe for them. It's what it can do for every the team. And like Toronto, I think is benefiting from having more force spacing at the five. Now they're another team. They're number two in and field goal percentage at the rim so far this year. And I think a lot of these teams, you know, can benefit from the structure being different. As you said, you know, the game theory element of this of just taking, you know, you could think of it in chess, like moving a piece to a different place on the board totally affects the the structure of the game and i'm excited about where that can go as long as a team like milwaukee does well enough to inspire that change in thinking other places in the league
2: yeah i mean so i covered Brook lopez in brooklyn from uh 2011 until 2015 and in the four full seasons i covered the nets Brook lopez went one for 12 from three and i think the one three he made was like a half court heave, if I remember correctly. Um, you know, last night alone, I'm trying to look this up, uh, real quick. This is why I'm kind of filibustering a little bit. Uh, last night alone, you know, the Bucks obviously beat the, uh, the Celtics in Boston. You know, in that game itself, Brook Lopez made a three and went one for four. Um, it only took five shots in 24 minutes and four of them were from three. I mean, the, the transformation he has made from guy who, would grab the ball in the post and bully people down and, uh, you know, try to shoot inside and never shoot threes, even though you'd watch him in practice go around the arc and shoot, you know, three after three after three. And he had a great set jump shot, uh, just would never really shoot it. So this guy that's now spotting up from 30 feet is unbelievable to see. And, And you're right. I think the more guys you see start to do this, you know, I do think it is going to materially shape, the way the league is because, you know, look, you, as, as these big guys start to come back into the league as the, you know, you've got Joel Embiid, you've got DeAndre Ayton now, uh, you know, you've got Carl Towns, you've got Nico Jokic, you've got, you know, and some of these guys aren't the defensive presidents, but really, if you look at like Rudy Gobert, Joel indeed, um, you know, these, these big physical presences at the rim. To your point before, if you can space them out and you can get them away from the paint, it opens up everything for you. And you know, that that's really you know, that's really what we're seeing here. You know, and and if you it's one thing, you know, teams started doing that by going small, right? That was the thing. It was well let's have Draymond Green at center, you know, let's let's play small and, and we'll have a smaller guy out there to shoot the ball who can hold up guarding it big and you know, we'll run these guys off the court. But now Now, you know, Brooke Lopez is a giant human being too. If you get a Brook Lopez bomb away from thirty feet and then still be back there at the rim at the other end, you kinda get the best of both worlds out of it, right? So to your point, that, that's where things stand now and, and it will be really interesting to see if there are further ripple effects from this because, you know, it is it is going to be something that I think could really shift some of the balance and, you know, frankly for a guy like Brook Lopez, a couple of years ago you would argue that Brook Lopez could soon be in the same position that a guy like, say, uh, Greg Monroe is now, right? It's like a guy who went from being a near-max player to a guy who's barely on an NBA roster whereas now, you look at Brook going forward, he's probably going to be a guy that's going to have a chance to play in the league for another Another 10 or 12 years if he wants, because if you can be his size and shoot effectively from 35, you know, from 25, 30, even maybe outside 30 feet, it's going to be hard not to find a, a useful spot on a roster for a really long time.
1: The Bucks also take this to a fascinating direction because now they're playing Giannis primarily at power forward. They have enough wings to make that work. And I've been arguing that Giannis is a four for a couple of years now. And what that, the benefit specifically that that leads to for the Bucks is, With other teams, like if you had a a four-spacing five... that really doesn't spend much time inside the arc, one of the counters is, oh, just put a smaller guy on them. And then you could have the big guy defending somebody else and protecting the rim. What Milwaukee is able to do, which a lot of other copycats won't be able to do, is that you can't really slide that center on anyone else. You know, there maybe as a value proposition, you could do it in certain situations on somebody who's more limited, and if they kill you on corner threes in certain games, so be it. But you can't put that center... I mean, I'll actually want to see teams try it more often, but putting a center on Giannis is a... it's a bold decision. It is one worth considering but it is a bold decision because of how agile he is and how well he moves with it but you can't put that guy on chris middleton you can't really put that guy on blood and then the fifth spot it's been mostly brogdon but they can bounce that around a little bit and actually that's one i would consider just to just to try it of like can you can you get away with it but brogdon hits the shots you know like that's i'm not i'm not super comfortable with that but where i want to go with that is this unbelievable thing with the bucks so far and who knows if it'll continue we're still you know 30 games into the season Milwaukee, offensively, number three in shots at the rim, number one in effectiveness at the rim. uh, 68.5% of their shots are going in at the rim right now, which is amazing. Defense fewest opponent shots at the rim proportionally and lowest success rate of shots at the rim like that ball that combination of four stats is unbelievable because even as a three-pointers or a wonderful shot you know getting to the three-throw line is another important one that that isn't counted in this at all but if they can make that work and maybe they can against the best of the best but it makes everything else so much easier because it, you've given yourself an offensive foundation and you've taken away an offensive foundation from your bo- opponent.
2: Yeah, no, you're, you're totally right. I mean, it, they, they, they are such a unique team in so many ways. And, and, and look, I mean, when Mike Budenholzer got hired this summer, you know, the two of us were, I think, among many people who looked at them and said, hey, now they've got a coach that can unlock this talent that they've got, right? And, uh, you know, I think that was what Budenholzer said to the Bucks themselves. Like, hey, listen, if you bring me in, you know, I, I think I can get a lot more out of this group than you guys were getting out of it before. Um, you know, we're going to foul less and we're going to, you know, we're going to take better shots and we're going to, we're going to make this work. And I, uh, you know, the proof is in the pudding, right? I mean, you look at the way they're playing. They're tied in a lost column with the Raptors with the best record Eastern Conference. If you ask me, I, I think they're, it's more likely than not, they're going to be at worst a two seed. Um, and as good as they've been at home, you know, I, I think that puts them in the driver's seat to get to the Eastern Conference finals. So. You know, when you look at it that way, you know, it's, it's hard to argue with the formula and it, it's put them in a position to have the kind of success that people thought they could for the past couple of years. But now they're actually been able to
1: do. And I like that you brought up the Celtics game because while Brooke Lopez was one for four on threes, his backup Thon Maker was four for five <laughs> in 15 minutes. That's and true. part of what Budenholzer has done is he's also... Brought this out of guys, you know. Thon was was taking he had had a you know his place on the Bucks the last couple of years has been fascinating. But also like John Henson played fourteen games for this team, less than two hundred minutes. He uh, he made more threes in those hundred eighty eight minutes than he almost made more threes than he had attempted in the rest of his career. And I would guess a significant portion of those were heaves. Like you know John Henson hadn't had that shot. He was you know small sample size eleven to thirty one. He was thirty six percent, but. I think part of what Budenholzer is getting at and a couple other coaches too is there are guys who have an element of this shot in their back pocket. We're going to see this with Mo Bamba with the Magic over the next couple of years. And so it's not necessarily – and this is the guy that I'm actually most interested in – is the offensive player who is not as complete as Brook Lopez, who could not provide as much value five years ago offensively because – they weren't a good enough post player where you want to feed them. They weren't a good enough pass player, but if they shoot, you know, 34% from three on a reasonable number of attempts and the guy has to defend them, they're helping out the offense. Even if they don't shoot many shots, they're helping out the offense more than like the, I, I it's not fair to blame him for this because he's more effective at it than most guys, but the Hassan Whiteside black hole post up, you know, like that, even if it's a higher volume of touches, even if, you know, maybe it affects PER differently or something like that, the external effects, the externality benefits for an offense are just so much more pronounced, and it gets the ball in the hands of your better offensive players.
2: Yeah, I mean, it, it really, it, it, I mean, you said it best before, I mean, it really just shifts the floor completely, and, you know, it, it puts them, It's, it's really just turn them into a, a monstrous team. I mean, you watched them last night and, uh, you know, I, I was at the game, you know, like I said, and it's just, they're just such an interesting team to watch because they, you know, Giannis is such a, a you know, a unique talent even in a league full of them. I mean, he, he took, I think, five, I think he had five official shots in the first half because he basically just kept bowling into the paint like a, like a, uh, uh, you know, like a bowling ball and just having guys hang all over them and then just throw, uh, you know, throw shots in, right, or, or just have guys you know, drag them around and get called for fouls and um you know Middleton is Chris Middleton's really come into his own and uh it's it's just, they're just a fun team to watch they play a fun style they they push the pace uh you know they let Giannis do his thing and you know they they've really been able to maximize a lot of their stuff and you know it, it's funny you you watch Brook Lopez on the box and it just it's just amazing that he's not still in the Lakers because it, you know I I've been rather publicly uh questionable on on the the ceiling for this Laker team and if, you know, if they had signed Brooke Lopez for the same money that they signed Michael Beasley for, uh, you know, I would feel infinitely better, even if Rick Lopez wasn't quite this same player, because he probably wouldn't be, uh, and quite the same thing. Uh, still, if he's playing next to LeBron James, you have to figure that, you know, a much similar thing is happening there. And, you know, as we've seen, you surround LeBron with shooters and it's a pretty good outcome. And I don't think it's any secret that, or any surprise really, that the Bucs have, you know, pursued a similar agenda, uh, you know, in Milwaukee to, to this, to this level of results.
1: They could have – the Lakers could have given him Lance Stevenson money too. That would have worked out. They don't really they, need they – They certainly they, – they certainly could have. Yeah, and and I think – this is my sincere hope that because it would be really good for the league overall, Play. they're always going to be – especially the high-end players, and we can talk about this if we want. They're going to have their own decision-making processes. They're very different. But as a role player, especially one who the long-term money isn't there – Brook Lopez probably saved an element of his career or at least made himself a lot more money, whatever he wants to prioritize, by choosing Milwaukee. And I don't know if there was more money on the table somewhere else. That's not something that I'm privy to. But making that decision in his early 30s to say, I'm going to go to the right situation and do it, was exactly the correct decision for him. Like It's given him a new viability. We talked about maybe he has five to ten more years in the league if he wants it. And I would love to see, not because I'm advocating for players sacrificing money, absolutely not, but choosing situation over immediate financial return can lead to a better financial return down the road and or lead to a clarification in terms of what makes you happy.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's not, it's, I mean, it's no different really than like somebody, you know, some quote unquote regular person choosing between, you know, taking a bigger paycheck for a job they're They're maybe not going to like as much for one that, uh, you know, maybe has a little bit lower current pay, but has a a higher upside down the road. Maybe it's a startup that has a chance to blow up and you kind of take a swing and hope it works out. Right. I mean, that you, you bet on yourself. Right. And Brook Lopez in this scenario, you know, bet on himself and his skill set and put himself in a position, to your point, where he could really maximize um, his future earnings by showing he could be a guy that can really alter the court. And, you know, it's it's just funny, like I said before, as somebody who's covered him for a long time, it's just really funny to me to watch him play this way because it's just so different than the brook lopez that i spent years watching in brooklyn and it's uh it's just it's just been really interesting for me as somebody who's really followed his career uh to see him change the way he has and you know to me it's kind of a signpost of the way the sport is changing uh you know those you know 10 years or so he's been in the league it's really been you know kind of an example of how um you know, how the league has shifted in this direction. And, you know, to your point before, I don't think it's shifting back the other way anytime soon.
1: I don't think so either. Have you had the chance to talk to him at all about that, about, like, his changing role and what's different this year? I haven't
2: had a chance to talk to him at length about it. It's something I am interested in doing. Um, you know, I, I was going to try to talk to him last night, and then, uh, you know, meeting gate happened and things uh, things kind of got chaotic. <laughs> Um, but, uh, but no, I, I look forward to talking about it. Cause I, I, you know, he had, I I don't know if it's necessarily a transit, like, I don't know if it's a transformation this year, because if you go back to like last year in LA, he was, he was primarily shooting threes last year, uh, or maybe not primarily, but shooting a lot of them. Uh, but I, I think in Milwaukee, what you've seen as is with this team and this system, it's really allowed him to flourish uh and and really utilize those skills and um you know i i think it's brought out the best in him in a lot of ways and my hope is that you know he could stay there for a while because um you know i think it's a really good fit uh for him stylistically and and team-wise and and they're really fun to watch so i i hope that somebody who likes brook i hope it i hope it works out he could stay there for a long time
1: yeah it's good to bring up that the you know the frequency has changed it really started with Kenny Atkinson in Brooklyn that last year so if you go per 100 possessions which is a fair way to do this cuz that takes out pace takes out some of the other you know minute fluctuations which have happened with Brook as well so he went from below a half a three per hundred possessions to eight point three that Brooklyn year and then that's gone up to nine and then eleven and a half this year. So it is it is an increase on a change that had already happened before. But I think of it also just you know, dropping in. I don't get to watch every team all eighty two games. It's you know, it's the weakness of what we do. But it seems to me like it is more a more of a feature within milwaukee's system and that it you know it's an under, understood part of what makes them good whereas with the lakers maybe that's also just because of how last year was for them where it helped you know but it wasn't really like an identifying part of their offense it was just where he was
2: it's the difference you know, between a good role player on a good team and a good role player on a bad team, right? Look at Trevor Ariza with the Rockets and look at Trevor Ariza with the Suns. Uh, not that Brooke was in quite the same state as Ariza was in Phoenix with the Lakers last year. But, you know, I think that's a good way to look at it, right? If you have a good role player in a good situation, they're going to look really good. And if you have a good role player in a bad situation, they're probably not going to look very good. And I think, you know, you look at those two guys are both examples of the positive and negatives of having a veteran role player like that in a a spot that makes sense for him and fits his game and and his team is trying to contend or or the opposite.
1: Well, to start the season, the Suns were trying to contend. They just weren't particularly good at it. (laughs) And, yeah. and and that gets into something that Nate and I have talked about a couple of times, which is hard for people in our position to really wrap our heads around, which is that this group of players that are significantly more valuable to a narrow subset of teams – A narrow subset of teams that often do not have the financial ability to pay those guys. And so at a certain point for a lot of them, not for all of them, but for a lot of them, especially if they can't build up with a franchise long enough to get a a functional form of bird rights and have a team that's willing to pay them. I mean, Iguodala is another great example of this. Like Andre Iguodala is significantly more valuable to the Warriors than he is to everybody else because... He can't really do that much during the regular season, doesn't really want to. And, you know, if the if he was on Brooklyn, if he was on one of these teams and he was well, playing – when-
2: on put him on pretty much team because he, frankly, isn't even that good at this point for Golden State, right? I mean, right. If, he was, if, he, if he was on basically any other team, you'd be go, this guy isn't good, period.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you well, there, know, there the fact,
2: this, that, the be- fact that the Warriors need him to be good for basically three weeks – uh, you know, and this year might even be two weeks, depending on how, you know, weak the Western Conference remains. You know, I, I think to your point, it just kind of hides the fact that he isn't nearly the same player he was before. And if he, like Trevor Reza, if let's say after last year, Iguadala had gone and signed with, you know, fill in the blank team, right? Uh, I think you would have saw very quickly that, you know, he just doesn't really have it anymore.
1: Yeah, and he he can ebb and flow with the Warriors, and they're fine because they have four All-Stars and maybe five when DeMarcus comes around to playing. And plenty more to talk about with Tim Bontemps, but first a message from our friends at betonline.ag. This is a great time for sports fans. I mean, you have the Christmas Day NBA games coming up in just a few days, and NFL getting into the final week of the regular season, and then, of course, the playoffs start immediately thereafter, and betonline.ag is a great way to engage with what you love and whether that is a game that you you know you're going to be home and maybe you wouldn't be as interested in it or something where you think you know something better than the average fan you can go to betonline.ag and test your metal and if you use the podcast1 promo code you get a 50% sign up bonus and it's, you know if you're going to do it it's a great way to to start if you're looking to start And something else that makes BetOnline.ag really fun is the in-game options that you have. And so you can participate with the action every play. If you get a feel early on that you think something's going in a different direction, you can do that. And you can sign up on BetOnline.ag. You can go online or you can use your mobile phone, whatever is more convenient for you. And make sure that you use that Podcast One promo code for a 50% sign-up bonus. BetOnline.ag your online sportsbook experts. You also have a message from TrueCar. Every car comes with its share of stories. that ding in your bumper when you nervously picked up a first date, the luxury package you got after a big promotion, or the mileage you saved by riding your bike all summer. While you cannot put a price tag on your stories, now with TrueCar, you can at least find out what your car is worth when it's time to sell or trade it in. Just go to TrueCar. simply enter your license plate number, and watch how your car's details pop up. Then, answer a few questions. Navigation and moonroof? Watch as they bump up your value. High mileage? You already knew it was going to cost you, but now you know how much it dings your wallet so you can plan ahead. Once you're finished, you will get a True Cash offer sent in minutes, which you can take to a local certified dealer to cash out or trade in. So, when you're ready to experience a better way to sell or trade in your car, check out TrueCar today. TrueCash offer not available in all states.
2: Angie's list is now Angie your home for everything home with Angie you could cross your next project off your to-do list before this ad is even over just tell them what you need and they'll handle the rest sending a top pro to get it done or browse reviews compare quotes from pros and connect instantly all for free for everything from routine maintenance to a dream remodel because however
0: you want your project done they'll get it done download the app or go to angie.com that's angie.com to get started. A healthy lifestyle depends on quality sleep, and Sleep Number is here to help you sleep more efficiently. Sleep efficiency is the amount of restful sleep you have at night and is a key part of your overall health. Here are some tips to help you get the most efficient sleep possible. Reduce caffeine consumption before noon and limit late-night alcohol. Get regular exercise during the day, which helps you feel tired in the evening. And keep track of your sleep health with data from your Sleep Number 360 smart bed. Sleepers who routinely use their Sleep Number 360 smart bed features get almost 100 hours more proven quality sleep per year with that much extra energy, you could get more quality family time, volunteer at a meaningful charity, or exercise, meditate, and reconnect with nature. Proven quality sleep is life-changing sleep, which starts with Sleep Number adjustability. It's time for Sleep Number's ultimate Sleep Number event. Save 50% on the Sleep Number 360 limited edition smart bed, plus special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com podcast1. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com slash podcast1 for details.
1: So, there are two other kind of broad scope topics that I wanted to talk with you about. And I want to transition because we were just talking about money and sacrificing to what is becoming closer to a grand unified theory of player movement for me in the nba which is that with the massive increase in revenue and the you know the share for max players is is largely the same but the pie is increasing so that means their their part of the pie is increasing and the self-awareness that comes through social media and just the nature of players talking in the league now being fundamentally different and the stigma being gone about players changing is like This idea that players at a younger age are looking out for what makes them happy, what makes them successful, and we're starting to see the the big ripple effects of that. Kawhi Leonard basically telling the Spurs, "I'm not going to be here," and we don't know what he's going to decide. I I think Toronto has a better chance in this than probably some people do. I think they have a, but I don't know his thinking. I'm not in his camp. But then Sam Amex reporting from. Friday, which I think is a bigger deal than some people are thinking, like I was not beating the drum about any of the other Anthony Davis stuff. I was saying the theories are interesting. I wrote a piece last week about this, but the reporting in there of kind of saying the money component is not as important to Anthony Davis is exceedingly important because that means that New Orleans is competing on a more level playing field with everybody else. And that might not be a good thing for them.
2: Yeah, I mean, look, I, I'm not, I'm not going to try to diminish Sam's reporting. I have no doubt that that's true. However, I, I think if you talk to people around the league over the past, you know, six months or so, it's not like anybody really expects him to sign this extension, right? I mean, I, I think. New Orleans wants to get to the point where it can offer him the extension. And then he's probably going to say no. Uh, and then they're going to trade him, uh, whether it's, you know, in July or at the draft or in February, next February. Right. I mean, that's kind of the way this is going to go. Um, and I think, you know, while I have no doubt Sam is correct, I think your point is more the bigger point now, right. Which is that with the amount of money these guys are making, they have the ability and, and remember, Anthony's coming off a deal that's gonna have paid him, you know, through this I, I mean, he's gonna have made over a hundred million dollars easily in his NBA career after this season, right? So when you when you look at it that way, the the extra forty, whatever, 40 $50, whatever 60000000 dollars at the end, it it's less important than it would have been in the past. So I think it's allowed the amount of money in the sport now has allowed these guys, you know, and to your point, guys like LeBron and, some, and Kevin Durant and some of these other guys taking the decision to, you know, do an unpopular thing and go where they want to go has given these guys a lot more agency to, um, to run their careers the way they want to. And, you know, in that, it puts them in a position where they have a chance to dictate where they want to be. Like, for example, I don't necessarily see Giannis wanting to leave Milwaukee Right, because Milwaukee, uh, I think, has largely treated him well. They have a good coach that he likes. They have Chris Middleton there, who's really good. They have a chance to maybe get another guy this summer. Um, and they have a really good team that can contend for a while. So I, my guess is it's more likely than not he's going to want to stay. New Orleans, on the other hand, has been a mess right, for years and has never really put anything around Davis other than getting Drew Holiday that he would look at and go as the foundation of a long-term dominant force in the West. And so he's now kind of itching to leave. Um, you know, I, I think that's kind of where this is at, right? I mean, if you can build a team that has a chance to be a championship contender, I don't think many guys are going to leave that. Obviously, some did. You know, Kevin Durant did. Um, you know, there was the whole weird Kyrie Irving thing in um, in Cleveland. But even that, like LeBron was – it seemed like more likely than not to leave. And at that point, they weren't going to be a contender anymore. The Spurs, you know, you and Nate have kind of hammered home the fact that the Spurs were not really contenders anymore at that point. So I think more than anything, this is less about like any specific guy looking at the Supermax and saying, I'm definitely going to, that's going to be a huge factor for me. And more just that these guys have to your point, the power to determine what they want to do in their careers now in a way they never did before. And the fact that they're starting to exercise that option, um, you know, it it has led to a fundamental recalculation of the way the league is set up. And I, I think they owe LeBron in particular a debt of gratitude for kind of paving the way and showing that this is possible and really kind of, you know, creating this new era where, you know, these guys have really taken it upon themselves to um to change things up and and they don't want to be Kevin Kevin Garnett right and be stuck in a, a bad situation for the vast majority of their career um you know and I, I think that that has really started to power um some of the decisions these guys have made to get themselves elsewhere
1: yeah, and it's worth repeating. I mean, Garnett famously went to Boston and won the title. That was his age 31 season. Some of these guys are making these moves much earlier on, and so it allows them to play either their late prime or their prime depending on on different players and how they age. And LeBron, you know, he, his prime is just infinite, so we don't we don't really know. But the the ability to really control their their place for the point when they're most impactful is I think also really important here. It's not just like somebody going going to a city for the end of their career or something like that. No, this is this is them taking their agency at the right point. And one thing that's going to be really important and we just can't evaluate it yet is who is going to benefit from this increase in player player comfort with movement of elite guys. So so far, the benefits have largely gone to teams that are competitive, teams that are well run. I mean, the Warriors situation is is unique historically, I think you can make an argument because of what they had already done and then the ability to bring him in without really losing anybody important. But Toronto's bet with Kawhi Leonard, you know, if that works out, that's a really important data point here. While LeBron going to the Lakers, you know, they're they're intriguing, but they're not great. They're a well run team that can get a lot better. And it's amazing. The Lakers are, to my mind, uh, if we were to take like a five year window, depending on how much of the Billy King years we want to throw in, they're the best run of the teams in the LA New York markets overall. You know, like the Clippers are well run now, the Nets are well run now, but they had a long stretch of not. And like the Lakers had good foundational pieces. You know, they have all these young guys and everything else. And so, if that's where it goes, that's something else. Now, if Durant goes to the Knicks and the Knicks still aren't super good, if it's basically just him and, and Porzingis and these other young guys, that's a different point. But we can't speak to that where it's going until that those decisions actually happen, because now this is the year where like the Knicks have space and the Clippers. I think they're better run now. They're much better run now, so that can help. But so. I'm really interested in like where these go and then whether the Kawhi bet and whether the Jimmy Butler bet, whether those work out. And because that will set the table for how these next set of moves go.
2: Yeah. I mean, I don't, I wouldn't put the Lakers in the well-run camp. I, I would say that they, um, I would say they were terrible for years and, uh, they benefited from LeBron wanting to move to LA and sure, play for that, the
1: that's, Lakers. Sure, That's fair I too, but I, just in terms of like their draft picks, and you can also say that they benefited from being so poorly run that they got good draft picks and drafted reasonably well. Correct. I mean, uh, I mean, I mean, yeah,
2: they had, they drafted three, they, they got the second pick in, her, in the draft three, three years, years in, in a row one. when the, their pick was top three protected all three years. Uh, and you know, frankly, each time probably didn't draft the right player. So, you know, I, I'm going to slow a bit on, on that. However, that being said, I mean, look, I think, you know, the Paul George thing I think was a very big step. You know, I think the Jimmy move, I think he's going to stay in Philly. I mean, I think what you've seen to your point is that guys want to win and be in good situations. And Look, if Kevin Durant decides to go to the Knicks, that's a unique situation where he decides he wants to take on a big challenge after you know probably winning a third straight title with the with the Warriors, right? I mean, that's kind of a its own. That's kind of like LeBron going back to Cleveland, right? Like it's kind of in its own spiral. Um But you know, I, I think more than anything, these guys have shown that they want to win and they want to be in good situations on good teams, and and that's driven a lot of these decisions that have been made. And you know, I, I think that you know, the, you know, these are all competitive guys and they want to win. And, you know, generally they're going to look around and say, Hey, where, where are these are the best situation for me or the best situation for me to win. And, you know, outside of the Durant one, which I, you know, is complicated for a variety of reasons. Um, you know, I think you look at that and that's proven to be the case time and again. And I think as we move forward, I think it's going to remain that way. I don't I don't think that this is the death of small market teams in the league. I think it's more a matter of it's the death of teams that are not run in a competent way. And if you if you don't, you know, conduct your business in the in the right way and you don't, you know, put your players in the best position to succeed, they're going to look around and say, hey, I have a better chance to go win elsewhere and they're going to go do that.
1: Another big calibrator this summer is going to be the teams that are well-run but in smaller markets, and some of that is the approach that they take, and some of that is who goes there. So, like For example, the Indiana Pacers. Pacers, clean books. They have Victor Depot, They have Miles Turner, Sabonis, and a lot of other stuff clear depending on how we feel about Aaron Holiday at the end of the year. Utah is going to yep. have some spending power, but they also have a lot of their own winning yep. free agents, and so... Those teams, first of all, they have to set their sights in the right place because they, and that, a lot of that is, you know, the conversations GMs are having with agents and all that stuff. You know, while we don't hear about a lot of those discussions until early July, they're happening. Like that's not, you know, they're the, to to an extent, not to the tampering, hopefully, but you know, getting into there. And then, so it's setting them at the right point and just what, how their offers compare to other people, you know? So like, for example, Utah going after Kawhi is probably not a good idea. Maybe they can talk to like Tobias Harris or somebody like that. And so- I want to see how Utah and and granted we don't know how good the Jazz are going to end up being this year either. But like how how those teams fare is going to be important for me because if they really still can't get anybody, and I I think that's a distinct possibility. You know, I like thought not even the best of the best, but like that next year down then you know some of the competitive balance stuff is is there but at a certain point that's just how the league is you know it complaining about it doesn't change anything and that's part of why they put in like the designated player designated veteran stuff was to try to fix that but there are elements of it when the money is high enough the players are just going to choose what they want and if what they want is to be competitive and in a good place or just to be in a place they want to live they're allowed to do that that's what free agency is.
2: Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily put too many, um, long-term ramifications on what happened this summer either, because, um, if you look at the, the landscape this year with so many teams having cap space, um, I don't think it's, it's the right situation to judge. I think it's. You're going to have a much better idea when we get into more of a normal cap environment. And it's like, Hey, there's like last summer, there's several teams with a chance to sign a player. Um, where do they choose to go? Right. And I, I think that's when you get a better idea of kind of what the landscape will look like uh, as opposed to this summer, when you're going to have what two thirds of the league flush with space and therefore guys are going to have a lot of options. And look, a guy may choose to go like, look at Trevor Ariza, right? He goes to Phoenix last year because Phoenix off- offered him a crap ton of money, right? Um, You know, there are going to be guys this summer that are probably going to get paid like that, and it's going to, you know, change the marketplace up a little bit. Um, You know, or maybe a guy says, hey, I should go play in – Whatever, let's say go play for the Knicks instead of the Jazz because I could be a starter on the Knicks instead of a bench guy on the Jazz, and I can make a little more money. And then next summer I can even make more money, you know. So it, it it's a little hard to tell in that sense. But look, like I said before, the the, the Spurs, play, the San Antonio Spurs, have never you know been in a market where people looked at that as like, oh, I got to go play in San Antonio. And they signed LaMarcus Aldridge. They managed to get a lot of guys, a couple of for cheap. They've been really good for a long time. Um, you know, I mean, I just think. Good organizations are going to find a way to get talent, and if good talent lands in a good organization, they're going to look around and say, "Hey, this is a pretty good situation for me, and I want to see where this goes." So, you know, like anything else, there may be some. some issues that arise or some teams that are left disappointed, but I think overall you're going to look at this and say, Hey, that um, in the end, you know, this, the the good teams that are run properly are going to benefit from a system where the players are more actively able to pursue playing on a good team.
1: Yeah, that's, that's, that's a good way. uh, And I'm, I'm hopeful that ends up being right. And somebody we haven't talked about, but who is a great example of these kind of forces in play is Kemba Walker. So Kemba, yeah, His situation's a little bit different because Charlotte can and likely will offer him more money either total or per year, we'll have to see, than a lot of other, uh, than a lot of other places can. But, you know, he's, this is going to be... The last big contract, the last contract of his prime, the last big contract of his career, in all likelihood, and he can do whatever he wants. If he wants to, if he wants to stay in Charlotte, if he likes it there, if it makes him happy, we pretty much know what the Hornets are going to be for the next little while. And if he if he's happy with that, you know, they're competing for the playoffs. Maybe if in a in a different year, especially if a guy like Miles Bridges can take a big step, they can win a series. I'm never going to fault a guy for making a decision, but he can also pivot in a lot of other directions. I mean, he will be the most interesting player for a few other systems Milwaukee clearing all that space would I rather have Kemba Walker there than Eric Bledsoe yeah I probably would I think that he would be you know Bledsoe's defense I think is you know when he's engaged is an underrated part of what's made their defense so good this season but Kemba just opens up other elements offensively and I think would be a wonderful fit and their defense you know defending at the rim isn't Eric Bledsoe's not doing a ton of that and only a little bit and so you know like the Bucks are an interesting situation for him the Lakers if they don't get anybody else at a higher level I mean I Maybe they want Lonzo there, but he's interesting. The Knicks, of course, with his connections to New York City. Even theoretically, the Nets, depending on how they clear their space. And so, what? But every player is an individual. Every player is unique. Their priorities are different. And so, as you said, you don't want to read anything into any one decision. I mean, Paul Millsap's another example, is but he had a connection with Denver because he spent time there growing up. Like, but Kemba, I find fascinating because he's not this you know mega mega star. Though he's been wonderful this year. I had him in my MVP conversation at the end of last month. But he could end up really swinging a couple of situations.
2: Yeah. No, absolutely. And, you know, again, like if, if Kemba decides like he wants to be the greatest Hornet of all time, it's not really, a, to me, a reflection on him. It's just, uh, you know, everybody, like you said, can have different priorities, and that's fine. But, um, but yeah, I mean, he's a guy where, to me, if you, you put him on any of those teams you mentioned, they're going to be in really good shape. So, um, I'm, I'm very, very curious to see what his future holds because he, of all these guys that are sitting out there, he feels like the one that has the best, well, maybe not the best chance because, you know, but he's he certainly one with a pretty big chance of moving or at least a real chance of it on a team, you know, out of all these guys in the mix, whether it's Kawhi or Duran or Kyrie or whatever, he's the guy who's on by far the worst team. Um, you know, and it, that that should at least open up the possibility for him to look elsewhere. And um, yeah, I mean, he he, whether in Milwaukee or New York or elsewhere, could really be um, could be a swing piece for a team if it works out that way.
1: I have one other big topic, but a side thing before that, we we're just talking about Kemba, Kyrie doing his part to force his way not only out of Cleveland but to Boston is a set of decisions that looks insanely good right now. Like, he got himself into uh, about as perfect a situation as he could, didn't get a lot of the negative stuff that some of the other guys have, and now is, you know, he can, maybe he'll leave. I don't think he will. You know, he's already said that he intends to resign. But somehow he came out of all of this looking great, and he missed, like, that kind of, weird last year with Cleveland where they weren't going to win a title with him. Like they were, it was going to be another like four or five game series, just like it was before. So he got to a great place. He got to experience it before he gets to make his next decision. Like, I just think it looks so good for him now.
2: Yeah, no question. I mean, you look at where the Cavs are now and where Kyrie is with the Celtics. And I'm less convinced than you are that he's definitely going to stay. However, I certainly think that's the more likely option than not at this point. Um, But, you know, that being said, yeah, I mean he's put himself in a grand position going forward to, you know, either be on a great team in Boston, or have the ability to go to another great team wherever he feels like playing, uh, this summer when he hits free agency. Um, you know, and he's gonna and he's gonna get paid, you know, a lot of money either way. So um yeah, I think it's a big win for him. And and, you know, it's also when you look at it, it's it clearly was a big win for the Celtics to essentially trade Colin Sexton, uh, you know, and Jay Crowder for You know, for Kyrie Irving, I mean, that's a that's a trade that I think any any team in the league would make a hundred times out of a hundred.
1: Yeah, especially with with how things worked out. And, I mean, Jake Crowder would really help the Celtics right now, but he's not Kyrie Irving. <laughs> so that that's certainly different. Yeah, and with Terry Rozier struggling this year, I mean, think a lot of those kind of elements of, oh, we can replace Kyrie Irving, those have toned down a little bit. But the last yeah. – I don't think it's going to be a long conversation, but the last big thing for me that's a takeaway of the year so far is that I'm super excited about how the top of the East is looking and those teams are not only fun to watch, but they're competitive, and we'll see how they look in the playoffs. But I think the other thing that's important so far this year, and you alluded to this before, is that while there are a lot of good stories in the West, I am not all the way there on any one of these teams being a serious threat to the Warriors. You know, one of those teams that they need to like be up at, the coaching staff needs to be up at night planning, like, how are we going to beat Team X? And I don't doubt that teams will look better with time, but that's really important because remember last year when we were going around this point, that was when... Most people had gotten to the, oh, the Rockets are for real. That was, this is right around when that was happening, if memory serves. I was there since day one, but it was, it took, you know, it took proof of concept. And I understand that for a lot of people. And so right now, you know, their team, the Thunder are 20 and 10, the Nuggets are doing well, the Rockets are getting more on board, but there isn't anybody where you're sitting there going, oh, they're really going to cause them problems.
2: Yeah, I agree. I think you can make an argument that the second through sixth best teams in the NBA are in the Eastern Conference even with the issues that the Celtics and the Sixers have had and the, the lower ceiling that the Pacers have. Um, I, I just you look at these teams in the West and, like, you know, it's, it's kind of in the eye of the beholder, right? You can look at it and say, oh, there's all these really good teams that are beating each other up, or you could say there's the Warriors and a bunch of decent to mediocre teams that are playing each other on a nightly basis and kind of rotating wins. I tend to think it's more the latter. Now, you know, some of this is do you believe in the Nuggets? Right. Do you believe that the Rockets can turn it around? I don't. Do you believe that the Jazz can turn it around? I, I think they will eventually. But I am I think we all probably might have been a little too high on them, me included. That was one of the teams I looked more wrong about than not early on. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I just I don't look at anything. I think this is going to be the easiest path out of the West for the Warriors during the this Steve Kerr era. Um, it it would not surprise me if they, they just romp, assuming they're healthy because I I I mean I thought last year they were way ahead of a lot of these teams and um I just uh I, I just don't look at um I just don't look at any of them as having any kind of credible chance to give the Warriors uh, even a remotely difficult time. Um, There isn't a team like the Rockets last year or even close to one. I mean, if Anthony Davis somehow, uh, you know, appeared in uh, LA with LeBron by the deadline, then sure. I would say that that would, my opinion would change on that, but I don't foresee that happening. And short of, some kind of a decision like that happening, I, I think that, um, you know, we're going to be looking at the Warriors cruising to the finals and, you know, they're their by far most difficult opponent is going to come, uh, you know, and whoever they face in
1: June. And the other reason that's such a big benefit for the Warriors is that's a seven game series, whether or not they have home court. And so that means variants and all of those different elements are just it can it, even if one of those teams comes in better the warriors have more experienced you know they're maybe they if they get a couple of fortunate calls you know all those sorts of things if it, if you have one hard series it's a lot different than having two or three and there are a lot of teams in the West that I like as a regular season team, but we've seen throughout time that it's the absence of weaknesses and, like, places to attack that are definitive for a playoff team. And, like, Oklahoma City, I love a lot of what they do as a regular season team. Their defense is legit, but it is basically impossible to construct a lineup for them that has five guys that the other team has to care about guarding every second. And if you can't do that... I mean, th- is
2: they're a lineup, you could construct where there's more than three?
1: Well, if... if if Grant can shoot reliably, I think he can be a fourth option. I'm okay with that. But then there is an Like a I
2: said, is there a lineup you can construct <laughs> when there's more than
1: 3? Yeah. And and remember Russell Westbrook has a history of kind of getting into his own way once teams game plan for him and everything else like that. I mean, granted, he, he has had some great playoff series too, but with the way the league is going now and the fact that his jump shot is what it is, like, I I don't think I don't think it's you know him being like having some yeah, I stretches. I won't,
2: yeah, I won't repeat myself again, but I, I will just repeat the same sentiment. And I, I should I apologize for not mentioning the Thunder because I should have because I think if you ask me right now who's going to be. The Warriors opponent in the Western Conference Finals, I think it is the Thunder. Um their defense is great. You know, hopefully for his sake, Andrew Robertson can get back at some point and they can get even better at that end. Paul George has been incredible this year. Steven Adams has been really good. Um all that being said, uh I think if they play the Warriors in a seven game series, they just don't have the offensive firepower to keep up. I mean, their defense is good enough. And they have enough physicality and strength and size to give the Warriors problems at, at the offensive end. But I, I think Golden State is just going to be able to outscore them even still because, to your point, they just don't have the weapons. Um, and, and that, and I, and I think they are the clear second best team, right? I mean, if you if you remove, I mean, what is their record? I mean, they're what nineteen and ten or so, and they started the season zero and four. So, I mean, they once they got right, I mean, they they've been, I think, clearly the second best team in the West. And, you know, it's a full credit to to Sam Preston, his staff and to Billy Donovan, uh, who just got his option picked up for uh, the work they've done to, you know, not only keep Paul George, but, you know, move that thing forward and continue to improve that roster. I mean, it, it's they, they've done a hell of a job, you know. Surviving the way they have and the way Kevin leaving. Um, But that being said, I just don't look at them and see them as a credible threat either. And I I think they stand out as probably the clear number two option right now. So, um, yeah, I just think the teams at the top of the East are deeper and better. Uh, And, you know, frankly, I mean, you can, you know, LeBron is out west, but, you know, the way Joel and Kawhi and Giannis are playing, you know, even, you know, even, you know, if they're in a series with anybody, it's going to be kind of a toss up as to who you'd rather have too. Um, so while the bottom of the East still stinks, there is, you know, it's good to see some more balance to it and. Um, you know, I I think it's a positive development for the league as a whole that we have the Easter Conference starting to rise up. Now we just need, uh, you know, we just need, you know, the Warriors to either get another real competitor out west or to have Durant leave and, you know, kind of shift the field back in the other direction that way this summer.
1: Yeah. And we'll have to see. Something else with the East that I think will be important is that whoever makes it, assuming injuries aren't the big factor in that, whoever makes it out of that cauldron is going to be better for it. So, you know, because, you know, some of these teams are going to flail a little bit in the playoffs. I mean, we saw Milwaukee last year frustrate. They have a way better coach now. Toronto has a well-known Folding rate, right? and I think people like I, for me the series that got Dwayne Casey fired or should have been in my in my mind was not the Cavs series; it was the Wizards series because that Wizards team was in disarray, and they got way closer than they ever should have against the Raptors, and so that was kind of when I'm like, because I've been a I've been a Dwayne Casey regular season coach advocate for a long time now because his teams defend, and I think they've defended over their head in terms of personnel for a couple of years. And we don't know yet whether Nick Nurse team is going to figure that out. They also have different talent. But somebody of that group of five is going to figure it out. They're gonna they're gonna do it because that's just how it works. And so if you if you have two teams, you know, maybe a war of attrition, maybe somebody gets hurt or something like that, but when it's four or five, somebody's going to make it out of that. Somebody's not going to luck their way out.
2: Oh yeah, no question. I mean, there's not going to be an accidental Eastern Conference champion, right? I mean, it, you know, wherever, whoever it is, whether it's Toronto or Milwaukee or Boston or Philly or, you know, maybe even Indiana, but I think it's probably going to be one of those first four. Um, they're going to have to win at least two really, really top series, you know, possibly three. I mean, if you know, if say Boston or Philly, you know, winds up in that four or five series, which I think right now is the most likely scenario, you know, they could theoretically have to beat Indiana, Milwaukee, and Toronto to get to the finals or something, right? I mean, it's, it's going to be really, it's going to be a real challenge to do that. And, uh, and yeah, I think it will make them better for it, assuming they make it through it healthy. And I, I think as the, you know, as the league moves forward, I think having, um, you know, looking at, looking at the seven, the Eastern conference semifinals and seeing two awesome series, I think is a really good sign for the league going forward. And I think um, you know, with where things are headed to have the top of the East that looks good for a while, um, you know, and with some other young teams on the way up, you know, I think if Atlanta can get another piece or two in a couple of years, they could be good. Uh, if the Knicks could get another piece or two in a couple of years, they could be good. Um, you know, I think, you know, I think when you look at the, when you look at the state of the conference and the state of the league, I think the fact that you have those teams at the top of the East, as good as they are, is, is a very good sign for everybody involved.
1: Plus there, there's a lot of room for upward mobility in the West, you know, like- like if the Lakers are going to have max space, they'll add somebody good. They could also trade some of the young guys. The Clippers have a lot of spending power. We'll see what goes on with Minnesota, but I think Minnesota's roster construction now is actually more long-term viable because th- I think they can create a defensive identity. They need to figure some stuff out. Like they're they're not. I'm not saying like they're going to be a title contender or anything like that, but they have some pieces in place. And then you know we'll see what happens with Denver. We'll see what happens with OKC. How those teams age and everything like that. So I'm I'm really excited with where the league is, and that that's a good lead into. The question that I've had is the last question a lot over the last little while is: Let's look at the next two weeks or the next month. What are you going to be watching for? What are you most excited to see?
2: Well, I mean, in my current gig, you know, it's it's largely Eastern Conference based, and I'm you know I'm curious to see uh, how Philly continues to try to integrate, uh, you know, after the trade. If they are able to make any moves to deepen their bench. Uh, will Markel Fultz come back and give them anything? Uh, what will be the resolution of that saga? That should, you know, he, I think it was six weeks from the beginning of December that he was supposed to come back and that puts it in mid-January, about a, you know, three weeks before the trade deadline. So how will that impact things? Uh, you know, the Celtics remain just all over the place and will they? Start to write the ship at some point. Um, you know, I'm in I'm in Philly for this back to back. Kawhi Leonard isn't playing. You now, will we see Kawhi Leonard play back to back anytime soon? He goes back to San Antonio uh, in 10 days. What will that be like? Um, you know, I'm curious to see the the Celtics play the Sixers on Christmas Day. Uh, while we we're recording this podcast, Al Horford was shifted to probable for um, tomorrow's game in Charlotte. So, you know, whenever this comes out, uh, assuming there's no you know setback, he should be healthy for. Tuesday's game against Joel Embiid, a matchup Embiid has struggled in a lot uh, in the past. Um, so, you know, I, I mean, I'm kind of looking at everything in the East, but, you know, these top teams in the East all, you know, the interesting thing about them is they all kind of have flaws that, you know, play well against some teams and not as well against others. And it's, to me, the, the, the fun in this season is going to be kind of watching each of them try to navigate that and try to, to you know, buttress those weaknesses and then also try to position themselves to... You know, avoid the teams that could knock them out in kind of a weird, you know, Easter conference game of rock, paper, scissors uh, come playoff time.
1: On board with all that, the other one that I want to add in, and this is a great time to watch them, is these teams that are on the fringes or in the playoff race where their future is brighter than their present. And so what I mean by that is like Sacramento, (laughs) Dallas, Brooklyn, teams like that. And so how do they look? What does what they show say about where they're going? Like Luka is a really good example of this, but... You know, Brooklyn. They just gave Spencer Dinwiddie that extension. i I think it was a great deal for Brooklyn and I totally understand it from Dinwiddie's perspective from a risk mitigation standpoint. And so where where are these teams? What is their sales pitch going to be for free agents? How do they approach the trade deadline? How good are they actually right now? Like I'm Sacramento, I mean, not only that, but also Sacramento plays some of the most fun games in the entire league. So I I've I've loved watching them this year.
2: Yeah, I mean that whole story's been wild. It's been great to watch. So yeah, no, I'm I'm with you on all that. It's been- League is in, as I say a lot to people, the league is in as good a shape as it's been maybe ever and certainly in a long time and it's uh it's fun to get a chance to watch on a daily basis. So, you know, hopefully uh hopefully that remains the case and, and continues forward here, you know, the rest of the season and beyond.
1: Yeah, and hopefully teams stay healthy. I mean that's I've I've been having my fingers crossed for the whole season right now that we've been pretty lucky and you never know, but we'll we'll have to see that. And i thank you so much for taking the time. Always a pleasure.
2: Anytime, man. Like you said, sorry, I don't get to see you as much in person anymore, but happy to uh, happy to get to do this with you.
1: Thanks again to Tim Bontemps for taking the time. You can read him and see him on ESPN, and you can follow him, of course, on Twitter at Tim Bontemps, T-I-M-B-O-N-T-E-M-P-S. Love having him on and his... New Focus, I I really liked being able to talk about some of those elements in detail with him, and I love talking with him, that's why he's on the show as frequently as he is, and... As I said at the outset, if you have any input into how much of a difference the lack of editing made in your satisfaction with the show, let me know, NBA at gmail.com. I always say, good, bad, or indifferent, that is especially true right now because, I don't know, if if you don't care as much, then that saves me a lot of time. So, but if you do care, I want to know that too. It it doesn't matter. That's why honest feedback is exceedingly important. And if you want to support this show, you can leave a rating, leave a review in the podcast player of your choosing. You can tell other people about it word of mouth through in-person, internet, whatever. It helps. And subscribing, downloading every episode. That's a great thing that you can do because Real Jam Radio, as you know, from this week's episode coming out on Sunday, it can change around a lot. So subscribing, downloading, that means that when it pops in, you'll have it. And so most people probably listen to this on the Monday morning commute or whenever, but you, you have it if you subscribe. So that's a nice way to do it. And the most important thing you can do to support the show and any other show that has them is check out our advertisers. So Robinhood investing app allows you to buy and sell stocks and lots of other things for commission-free and realgm.robinhood.com going there, get you a free stock, which is pretty awesome. BetOnline.ag, use that podcast one promo code for a 50% up bonus and TrueCart, great place to buy and sell cars. And I mean, I was talked about in the in the read about their really interesting system now in terms of getting a price on your car. It's pretty cool. I should have actually a lot of content coming out in the next week. It just so happened that with The Athletic, I've been sending them stuff, but they were they had other things going on. So I, I might have up to three columns out this week, which is pretty cool. And then of course, Nate and I will be doing Dunked On and we will be doing the NBA cast on Christmas Day, for Thunder Rockets, which is, I believe, a noon Pacific, 3 Eastern start. So you can watch that game with alternate commentary from Nate Duncan and yours truly. It should be a lot of fun. And we're adding some new bells and whistles, because we can, and because we're motivated to, and so now you can check it out. Periscope, Twitch... And hopefully, hopefully, hopefully YouTube. But we're working on that, seeing if it if it can be ready in time. So that's what, what I'm up to. And then, you know, we'll see what else comes over the next few weeks. So thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day.
0: The free COVID vaccine is FDA-authorized for kids 5 and up. Do it for your besties and the resties. It's safe for your child and can help protect their friends. Do it for birthdays. And help protect your family. And game night. When you give your child the vax, you give them the power to learn. Do it for field trips. And camp To experience
1: and big hugs
0: and to be a kid. Get your child vaccinated and give them the power. Paid for with Pennsylvania taxpayer dollars. You're looking for meaning
2: and purpose in your work. Hello. Hello. Hello, we all are.
0: Every year, Harvard Business School Executive Education helps executives like you reevaluate goals and develop both personally and professionally to turn their careers into their callings. Don't be different, be changed. Go. Start
2: by going to hbs.me slash go. That's hbs.me slash go.